I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And I'm here to inform and entertain. And I say it that way because it looks like I'm going to be dancing all alone today. Uh, The reason being that I I decided to try something kind of last minute-ish, and I put up a post on Facebook, and it read this way, thusly, I want to try an experiment for my podcast, a new spin on autism answers. Anyone who wants to be heard on any subject related to autism, call. And then I left the numbers, and I said, what time? And, you know, I said, let's have a free-for-all. Just call and tell me what really matters to you. Interestingly enough, I got some people who Facebooked me what mattered to them, partly because of time zone issues. They were far away. And partly because of um, fear of having their voice heard um, on air. So what I'm going to do is read those questions to you and then, you know, give you my take on it, and we're just going to have a show where the guests are sort of invisible to your ear but um, are here for me via Facebook. Uh, and, and it is possible that at some point during the show somebody would ding in because I said, you know, the time just was start time, but somebody might call in five minutes later or something. Um, although I doubt it, people tend to be, afraid to do that. So let's, let's just sort of move forward. Before we go any farther into the show, though, let me remind you to stay to the very end, because no matter what I come up with today in answering these questions, I'm going to try to put it all together at the very end with stories from the road. And just before that, we would have, okay, 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 the great guest giveaway. And today, the great guest giveaway is also me, which I had planned on doing. So now it's just solo, solo, solo. Hopefully you're not so sick of my voice that you can't take it anymore. Um, I did a show recently about lying. And I think that maybe we begin with that and that that might set in a tone for the future um, with, you know, sort of tying together the questions that I'm going to read to you. Um, the, the reason I did the show about lying is they sort of gave me a carte blanche and said, talk about whatever you want to talk about, and they did it in a series. It was called Earth Needs Rebels, which is a lovely name for a radio show. Um, and so I decided that one of the things that in, in this series that I really wanted to address was the subject of lying. And I tell you that because so often I teach to this. I've taught to it, in fact, in episode one of uh, Fix It In 5, which is on the Autism Channel. If you have a Roku box, please watch it. Please uh, give me feedback. I'm doing my best to get information out there for you free of charge. So um, I was in Uganda, and I was talking to the mom, and she just willingly admits, you know, that the way that she tries to get the child to do things is through manipulation and lying. And she admits it easily because it's very much a part of their culture. Now, it's very much a part of our culture as well, but it's not 
so much a part of our culture to admit that that's how we manipulate our children. So um, I sort of had the advantage by being in Uganda that she was willing to just say, well, you know, I lied to her, and that's kind of okay, Um, and that's expected, actually. So I was able to address it and say, you know, no, don't don't lie, because then you set up um, her to not trust you. So let's address that for a second. Uh, I want to address that because the first question that we're going to look at comes from someone in Australia. And her question is about how to deal with the fact that her daughter is hitting, you know, that puberty age. In fact, I'll I'll read the the question before I answer it though I want to go into a little bit more about lying. So, her question is, my daughter with ASD will be 11 next month. I have four other kids that are not ASD. So, I'm stressing about how to deal with her impending adolescence and trying to educate her about what to expect physiologically when she herself has very limited cognitive development. Okay, now this is a common problem and one that we really want to address, but I don't think we can address it easily or well if we don't first address um, this subject of lying. So let's, let's start there. When you do the simplest lie to your child, you have an effect on the future that you maybe don't realize. So let's begin with something like, let's say your child who is cognitively challenged or communicatively challenged or socially challenged or all of the above, sensory challenged, visually challenged, whatever. (laughs) Um, Let's say that that child has a particular toy that they love to play with, and they love to play with it over and over and over and over and over again, and it's driving you batty. So when they're not looking, you take this toy and you throw it in the garbage, and when they get up in the morning and they're looking for this toy, or in the middle of the night, which is common, and they're looking for this toy, you say, I don't know what happened to it. I guess the raccoons came and stole it in the night. Now, don't laugh too hard because this kind of lie is told all the time, especially when kids are young. Neurotypical kids have the opportunity, though, to get together with their friends and their siblings and, you know, say, well, be careful, the raccoons will steal it. And then everyone laughs at them and educates them and says, don't be silly, raccoons don't do that. And, you you know, the neurotypical child says, well, my parents did. And they go, ah, parents also say, you know, well, I don't know if your children are listening, but you know of the fairy tales we tell children in order to give gifts. So, um, you know, and, and this sort of information is passed from child to child, but when your child is isolated, um, even within the family, not just within their friend and peer group, but their communication challenge, their social challenge, their sensory challenge, their cognitive challenge isolates them from learning and discovering via um, those kinds of mistakes with their peers and their siblings, they don't get that information. So now let's let's think about what just happened. You have this child, and they now have to be terrified of raccoons. Raccoons are now something that can unlock a door. Come in, well, raccoons are pretty crafty. They might be able to, but generally speaking, they don't have a key or figure out how to pick a lock. So you're pretty safe if you lock your door. Uh, oh, I think somebody might be joining us. Hello, who's there? 
Oh, don't be afraid. Nope, nope, they're not going to talk. They're gone now. Okay, so much for that. That was fun. They beeped in, they beeped out. Okay, well, I'll just keep talking then. All right, so, so you've made it so that your child thinks that a raccoon has the ability to unlock a door, come in, rifle through their things, pick their favorite toy, and steal it away into the woods. Now, they might even take their imagination farther. Maybe they imagine that there's a whole family of raccoons playing with this toy over and over again, and and the little baby raccoon has it, and this child doesn't, and that could be their best friend. If they could just find that, who knows? They could be terrified. They could be enthralled. But what they aren't is properly informed. Now, you might get your problem solved for the moment. Your child might accept that that toy is gone and that raccoons have taken it. Your child might even stop asking for that toy, but your child will just replace it with something else that they fixate on that might be equally or more annoying. Maybe less. You might have solved your issue, but you haven't informed or taught your child. So let me walk you through that. You had an opportunity in this made-up example. You had an opportunity to say, you know what, sweetie, when you play with that over and over and over again with the volume all the way up, it's very hard for me to be a nice mummy because that sound over and over again with the volume all the way up makes me want to scream. And then they are, oh, my gosh, you know. And then you go, so if you can bring the volume down, or if you can go and do that over there in your room, or if you can... Now, these are things that we commonly teach, again, the neurotypical child. But as soon as a child is a label, we think we can't talk like that. It's ridiculous. Of course you can. Of course you can. You just might have to say it a million times. And you have to follow it with an immediate response, and you have to be action-oriented. Because it's possible that they didn't catch all your words. It's possible that they were half in their game, half out, not really paying attention to you. But the minute that they know that their game is going to be something they have to give up or is going to be controlled, if they don't understand what you're saying, the motivator to keep the game will get them to listen. Especially if you do something like I just modeled where you kind of got loud and and got their attention, but you weren't angry and you weren't judging or hating their game. So they don't have to defend their game. With, if you do it this way, they don't hear you saying that they, you hate their game, you're going to steal it away. So they're okay, they're safe. Um, they do hear you saying that you're having a difficult time and showing that you're having a difficult time with it. Then you can follow with, you know, if that keeps happening, I'll have to take it away because, you know, it makes me want to scream. And I don't want to scream because I love you and it's not the kind of mom I want to be. You taught the social piece that they're not getting. Now, I know, come on, I know, I had four autistic kids, and one still is. So I know that you, it's not that easy, (laughs) that you do it over and over and over and over again. But if you follow with an example and an action and you follow through on anything you say, you don't lie, you don't deflect, you just explain, and you show cause and effect, kids learn. They always learn if it's something they care about. And in my example, they care about their toy. 
So when you lie, not only do you misinform, which you probably knew that, but when you lie, you misinform and you miscreate the world they live in, the world they understand. You don't inform them on the world they actually live in and need to understand. And then a year later you find yourself going, I don't know why she keeps screaming every time we go near the edge of the woods and she's having a meltdown and it makes no sense. I guess it's because she's autistic. No, it's because you told her there's a raccoon in the woods that's a big monster that can come in and unlock her door and steal her toy. She's terrified. So we have something to do with the world our children live in. And it's our job to explain the world we live in in such a way that they can grasp it. And in a very clear step-by-step, when you do this, this happens, way you can teach children that have ASD how to deal with the things that happen to them, to their bodies, and how to interact with others um, in a comfortable, fun way. Okay, so let's go to our question and see how that ties with the lying concept. Lisa Ann, oh, I almost said her whole name. Oops, sorry. <laughs> we'll leave that out because she might have wanted anonymity. So she told us that her daughter's 11, coming on 11, that she has autism, that she has four other kids that are not autistic, and that she's really worried about how she's going to tell and teach about the changes to the body. Well, if her daughter's coming on 11 and hasn't already begun having changes to her body, she's quite lucky because a bit of information, most of the kids that I work with, uh, especially the females, start adolescence at around 9. Just generally in the world, the age of onset for puberty has come down from, it used to be 13, and now it's, a pro, I think 10 is the norm. I'd have to look it up to be positive. But it's definitely come down. And most of the kids that I work with tend to start at around 9. So she's already gotten a few extra years here, uh, which is, you know, neither here nor there. I just thought you might like to know that if you're looking at an 8-year-old around the corner from menses or um you know, little boobies or uh, <laughs> erections that were probably happening already, but now they're really out of control. So um, here we go. So we've got this girl, and she's got all these siblings. I don't know if the kids are older or younger, so we're just going to go with, you know, let's say that she's got some older, some younger. It doesn't really matter because almost every time I help a child with anything, I use the same techniques. It's one of the reasons that I decided to make a show and pay for it out of pocket with the help of a few contributors, Um, make a show that goes all over the world and travels into five different homes from different countries is what I'd like to show you, what I'd like to tell you. is it's the, The answer is always the same. There isn't a different way to do a thing. You just apply it to the situation, the child, and the family. So with that being said, how do I deal with, um, let's start, pretend it's a boy first because it's easier to explain to get started. Um, So often I'm working with a child who's all of a sudden grown hair around their penis and they're getting these erections all the time and, and, you know, in the middle of having a conversation or your hair falls a certain way, they don't care that you're 30 years older than them or anything like that. They just all of a sudden are reacting. And, um, you know, I'm very clear. I say, oh, I see you've got an erection. If that's uncomfortable, you can uh, go to the bathroom and go pee. And if you pee, that usually takes that feeling away, and then we can resume working. Um, 
I say that only if they've drawn attention to it. If they get an erection and it's not bothering them, I don't point it out right then and there. I just continue to work. I then still mention it, though, in sort of an offhanded way if I've never worked with them before and never had a chance to explain it. So, um, you know, a little bit later, I might say, oh, by the way, I noticed you had an erection for a bit there. In case you don't know, um, when you go pee, that'll usually take care of that. I know it's hard to pee, but once you pee, then then it sort of takes care of that feeling. And if you're having trouble focusing, that's a good trick. And so I just talk like that. And it's really from that basis that you do everything, whether you're doing behavioral controlling or whether you're doing information on puberty, whatever. It's from this non-judgmental, no embarrassment place that you inform and enlighten children and help them. Now, you might feel like this is too embarrassing or difficult to do, or you might have this thing in your head, like this mom might, when she hears this show, she might go, yeah, but what about all my other kids? If they hear me talking like that, then they're going to laugh and snicker and tell their friends and everyone's going to make fun. Actually, that's not how it'll go. That's how it'll go if you're uncomfortable. That's not how it'll go if you're comfortable. They might be uncomfortable for a few minutes. They might laugh and snicker. And then since you're comfortable, you'll be able to say, look, here's the deal. Um, this is the only way your sister's going to learn how to do this. So it's real important that we get comfortable so we can inform her because otherwise she might start touching herself because it starts to feel good and your friends are over and you'll be embarrassed. And then she'll get embarrassed and maybe one of your friends will, you know, tell another friend and that's an older boy and he might, you know, catch her in the backyard and hurt her. This is an important issue, so we have to all get comfortable. And it's What's beautiful about that is that you now have an open line of communication about something really important that doesn't just help the ASD child. It enlightens, informs, and empowers all of the siblings because they're guessing too. Most of the time they're making mistakes and then their peer group or their teachers or somebody else is pointing it out, maybe you yourself, the parent, but they're guessing So I'm going to just quickly remind you, you're listening to a new spin on autism, answers. Oh boy, am I throwing answers your way today. (laughs) I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, um, otherwise known as The Brain Broad. And don't forget to stay to the end, I promise. Just hang in there with me. I'm going to wrap this all together in a great story from the road. And before that, I'm going to do the okay, 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 great guest giveaway by sharing uh, a confessional little piece of literature that I wrote in my first book. So uh, hang in there with me. All right, so we're back. We're back. We never left. It was only me all along. It's only been me. Somebody phoned in and got scared and hung up. So here we are. We're t- it's probably good because then I get to really, um, really share with you some insights that I've gained over the years. Now, I've taken a lot of pe- kids. I've taken eight kids through puberty of my own, not never mind grandkids, and, and uh, they've all, they're all good, you know, so I know something, so hang in there with me. Um, and then all the, the kids I work with internationally. So here we go. We're, we're faced with a situation. We've got this 11-year-old. We've got all these siblings. We start maybe with privacy, but really you start when, when it shows itself. You don't 
start um, in advance. You don't go, oh, um, you're going to grow boobies someday. Because if she's having a cognition problem, then then fully getting that's probably, you know, it's just probably scary and it's not happened yet and maybe it'll hurt and who knows what she'll make up and maybe not communicate to you. And so you might create a kind of fear of something that never had to be frightening. So you just wait. And as soon as you see anything, you see some pimples coming, you see some hair in the armpits, you see some little boobies growing, there's spotting in the underwear, there's hair on the legs, whatever the sign is, the first sign that you see, you go ahead and you begin. And you say, oh, look, you're starting to get some hair on your legs. I have hair on my legs, too. I just shave it off. Let's say that's the case. Um, you know, and so now you start rubbing it and you go, that means you're going to be a woman. This is so great. Now, the mom who asked this question might be saying, yeah, but she's cognitively challenged. I can't talk to her that way. Yes, you can. Because she's in the moment. She's looking at her legs. She's seeing that they've got hair on them. She's seeing you touch your legs. Maybe you get out the razor and you say, see, I shave with this or whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you're Showing her, show her. Um, it's no different than when you were teaching them to wipe themselves and, and you showed them when you wiped yourself, at least. I assume many of you did that. So you show, and you will show your boobs, and you will show your bra, and you will show your pad, and you will do it as it comes up. Once you see any sign of adolescence, then the subject is up. Now you can sort of foreshadow a little bit because starting your period can be scary. So, you know, you might say, oh, and by the way, sometimes, you know, blood comes out. It's just all you do is you wear this thing and you put it on and you laugh and, and show her how it goes on. And, um, and she even can practice wearing one if she wants. No big deal. She can wear one without a period. It's fine. It'll catch any pee dribbles. It'll be great. So... You make it light, you make it simple, and you talk about women versus children. And that's how it's done. And then when you see her behave inappropriately in public, you deal with it in the moment with clear and absolute information. No embarrassment, no judgment. Take care of yourself. Get yourself over any embarrassment because that will pass and they won't hear your words. They'll hear your feelings. I'm going to say that again because it's really important. If you're embarrassed, your child will not hear your words. They will hear your feelings. They will take your feelings on. This is true of anger. This is true of embarrassment. This is true of everything. They take our feelings on. And from that place, wherever our feelings are, that's where they are able to listen or not listen. And it taints and paints every bit of information you give. So if you give happy, delighted, beautiful, accepting, gorgeous, loving feelings, then they feel that way about the information you give them and they are able to absorb more. So you have a cognitively challenged child who just became smarter. They became smarter because they're willing to absorb more of what you're sharing because they're wanting it. And that's how you raise IQ. The more resistance and fear you create and, and embarrassment and shame, the lower the IQ. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to take a really smart person and make them really stupid, or really, but you will affect their ability to comprehend what's being told, and you'll twist the story. So it's simple, okay? It's simple. And now you take this knowledge and you apply it to every single moment. Let's say 
I'll give you a real example. I was working with a, a young man, and he was staying in a hotel, and his mom and I were around the pool, and he was around the pool. And next thing you know, he's decided that um, he's going to go find the bathroom, and we didn't know he'd left. And I, when I say young man, I mean man, like he's, you know, big, bigger than me and covered in hair and fully developed. Ripped his clothes off completely um, on the mat and started walking around naked looking for the bathroom. Now, if we panic, we miss a great opportunity, number one, to figure out why he did it that way, number two, to inform him so that it does not happen again. At the moment, he's staying in this hotel. They're making money off this family. They're already aware of this family. They're probably going to be a little bit forgiving. They won't be so forgiving later in another circumstance. Now, I heard another beep. Did someone join? All right, just listen. Okay. Um, all right, so, um, so they, you know, what we did, or actually went in and just said, oh, by the way, you know, when you're in a public place, you keep your, your bathing suit on while you're looking for the bathroom. And as we're talking with him, kind of our minds are going, why would he do it this way? Why would he do it this way? But he did it on the mat. So I said, um, do you get him to do that so that he doesn't drip all over the house? And mom looks a little guilty. And I'm like, no, no, let's just explain to him the difference between the hotel and the house. And so here we are with a child who learned that we don't want to drip water all over the place once we're inside. So he was following the rules he'd been taught. He was actually learning. He was learning. We should celebrate this. You learned. Fantastic. You had good manners. Fantastic. You're just missing some pieces of information. Now we'll fill those pieces in. And we may have to fill them in many times. But eventually... All of this filling in makes for a full picture. If we'd have been embarrassed, he'd have felt the embarrassment, and he'd have probably hit himself. So this would have been a very different story. And not only that, but everybody watching got to learn something. And if we'd have been embarrassed, he'd have been embarrassed, and the people watching would have been embarrassed. And then we'd have been in that situation that so often parents are where they think the world hates them and their child because everyone's looking at them, rolling their eyes and, and saying stupid things, but in fact we are leading them there. So if we don't lead them there, remember you're leading the entire circus, all right? You're leading the entire thing. So be careful how you do that. Oh, my gosh, I am long-winded. I have told a very long answer. You know what? I'm going to do this periodically. The other question doesn't really fit the theme as much, and I'm going to type her an answer. But let's do this, peeps. Um, go ahead and peeps. I'm sounding really cool and hip, aren't I? Ooh, for an old lady. Okay, so um, go ahead and Facebook me questions, and if it looks like it would be good to answer it on the show, I will. And, and if not, I will type you the answer. I always do, or you can send it always to my email, which is mom, the number four, evermore, at Juno, J-U-N-O, dot com. And, uh, and I'll answer you. I might answer short, because I have a lot of emails, but I'll answer. Um, get longer answers on the radio. Okay, so here we are. Um, oh, okay, 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 it's time for the great guest giveaway. And I think it fits the theme. Maybe the question of the day is, 
to lie or not to lie? That is the question. Which way should we go? Should we lie or shouldn't we lie? Um, When you are raising your kids, I've told you a really good reason why you shouldn't lie. And that multiplies out into everything you do. So, you know, I I face that a lot raising the kids. I was mostly a single parent most of the time. I got married a lot trying to fix that, but never worked out. So I mostly raised the kids as a single parent. It's a lot of kids. It was very expensive. And I did many things to support them. Um, And so at one point, I decided I wanted to write this story. I was actually going through a really difficult time. I hadn't found the answers yet. I was still really searching. I was still kind of in the middle of raising the kids. Few of the, the non-autistic kids had grown and gone, but mostly I'd gotten some grandkids living with me, so I still had like eight kids, and I was still trying to figure it out. And I was broke most of the time, and I was struggling, and I moved countries, and I was having status issues, and it was just really, really, really hard. And mostly, it was just really, really hard to get a life because between paying bills and working and raising the kids and the, you know, the violent outbursts that cause problems and the fires and oh my gosh, it was just crazy, and it was just really hard to get a life. And when I wrote this book, the one there were a couple of things. One, it was a cathartic journey, and I almost, you know, considered not publishing it because um, it's written kind of poetically, and it's a really naked story. It's a real um, journey into my soul and my vision and my life, and I don't hold back. And in fact, the, you know, the version that hasn't been edited is really, really blunt, but um, apparently I'm not allowed to sell that one. Okay, so... Uh, I want to read the beginning and then tell you something. So this book, the entire book is a letter. It's a letter to a lover that I lost. Um, And I lost, you know, in the game of can you have that kind of a relationship and raise a bunch of autistic children. And for me, the answer has been no, but it's been no for a lot of reasons. So I'm going to start it. Dear Jeff. The book's called Jeff, A Sexually Realized Spiritual Odyssey of Stepping into Love. Dear Jeff, something happened to me yesterday. Some paradigm-shifting, untellable something happened. I, oh God, I have to write this letter that I'll probably never send you, but even though I know I must because you have to know about the something that happened, I, I, I need you to know. Anyway, I have a new friend. His name is Ted. We've been seeing each other for about six months now. He's a very nice man, and I wanted to jump right in and tell you about the something that happened because I feel as though if I express it, it will carry the same power for you as it did for me, but it won't, will it? No. It can't. Can it? Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. Damn it! So now, even though I know that for the sake of my sanity, I have to tell you, I just don't think I can. I mean, what if you don't understand? And I'm afraid, definitely I'm afraid, that if I try to tell you what happened, if I express it out of me in order to give it to you, it and you will be gone. And... I don't want gone anymore. I want here, now, 
always. And it goes on. The, the journey of this book is the journey that I took to try to become a good woman. I was already a good mother, but I was not a good woman. And so in that journey, I, you know, I did many things um, to support the kids, and they were my excuse. But I was sexually inappropriate, blunt, and very capable. So there were times when that was how I paid the bills. I always wanted to help people, so I ended up mostly working with um, physically disabled people that, uh, you know, it's actually a legal job, and there's a movie out about it called The Session, so if you get a chance to watch it, it's wonderful. And in fact, it was a beautiful job. But in the process of getting to a place where I could make sense of all that, I, you know, I was really floundering. And there were times I remember I tell a story in the book about how I was just trying to go on a date, a normal date. <laughs> and, um, you know, I couldn't because I'm trying to go on the date, but then one of the kids, chases another kid with an axe and I have to run home and you know it was just uh it was just that kind of life for a long time and I know that I've seen many people in that same situation in that kind of a life just completely falling apart and trying to survive and I did survive and I did find the answer and I give the attitudinal answer that I found in this book but I also give you some real insight into what came before sanity. So I used to think in rhyme. I've been diagnosed many times with different things. And this book was written during that period. I, um, I've i been told to burn it, and I actually only have 2,000 left, so I won't reprint it. It tells things in a really uh, clear and honest way, but it also tells truths that people won't tell. Why am I sharing that with you? Well, as a great guest giveaway, I'm going to offer it to somebody. <laughs> if you want to know who I was when, you can go ahead and email me at mom4evermore at juno.com. Um, and for that reason, but also because of the subject of lies. When people meet me now, and I'm socially capable, and I have a lot of answers, and I do neurofeedback, and I'm scientifically knowledgeable, and I you know, have like a huge list of accomplishments, and I handle them well. They think that my backstory isn't possible. Or when they look at somebody who has who's in the situation that I was back then, who has a backstory like I did back then, who's talking in rhyme or leaves all the nouns out or doesn't use any of the, you know, the connecting words and just uses nouns and verbs because I was hoping you'd figure out the rest. They think it's not possible for them to get where I am. So what I want to say is if we continue to lie, if I go ahead and burn these copies, and if I go ahead and don't tell you the truth, then you meet me the way I am today, and you think a person has to be like I am today in order to get there, then all of those other people who could develop and become happy in their life and joyous and successful 
will be left by the wayside. It's only those of us who are willing to stand up and say, actually, my life was a mess and so was I. And we still succeeded. And it can be done. So if you want to know who I used to be in order to believe in it, um, there's still 2,000 copies left. And it's called Jeff, and you can buy it online, or you can be the first person to send me an email. I'm sorry that nobody was brave enough to come in and, and, and tell some truths today and really shake it up. I was kind of hoping we'd do a little bit about back to school. But, um, but since nobody called, I'll just mention it in stories from the road. So it was back to school time way back when. And uh, I remember I had just done a, a bunch of speaking engagements where I was telling everybody, you know, basically, I had kids to be a mom, not to be a secretary. Stop asking me to do their homework. Stop asking me to, to fill out every form. Stop asking me to go to a million meetings. Now, admittedly, I had a lot of kids, so I did it way more than everybody else. But it did feel completely overwhelming. And today online, that was one of the things that I saw over and over again, people complaining and complaining about this. Well, number one, your kids don't have to do their homework. They just have to try. Number two, um, they'll probably be taught a bunch of stuff they'll never have to use. So pare it down. Make sure that, you know, that you're not making them learn stuff they're not going to use because it's a waste of time and energy and frustration. Number three, I get it. I had the same thing. I had the same thing. So I come back from this trip I was on. Now, I was on the trip because I was earning money. And again, I just sort of, I, I had started doing stand-up comedy. I was trying to find a way to pay my rent. Uh, I, I got an opportunity to go on a cruise and do some performing. And I wasn't even sure if I was going to get paid because the guy who hired me was really slimy and I ended up hiding from him in a closet. It was like a crazy trip. But I won $1,500 in Aruba. Now, the whole trip was work-oriented. I got shafted at work, but I won the money, and I still managed to pay my rent. So I come back, and I'm frazzled, and I'm exhausted, but I'm victorious. And I feel like I have just overcome everything in the world. I would managed to, to set my children up with the proper babysitters, all this kind of stuff. So I come back. It turns out the babysitter had had too much and left, and Jeff, the one who the story's about, had had to step in and take over, and nobody had wanted to tell me. And they couldn't get a hold of me easily anyway, so when they did, they didn't want to say anything. And so I come in, and the school is so upset with me. Now, it's back to school time, so we've just overlapped, and it was the only way I could do it. So I had gone ahead and taken this job. There wasn't anything else. It wasn't, people weren't going, hey, single mother of all those killed children, why don't you, uh, you know, run my office for me? So I... <laughs> I get back, and I'm only, you know, it's only been, if, I think it was, maybe it's, it, I said a week, but, it, you know, the kids started on Wednesday. So it's really only a few days into the school year, and the principal had, you know, been waiting to talk to me, and I get there, and he sets me down, and he says, he starts with, I realize that it's really important for people to get a vacation. And I, and I lost it. I just started laughing hysterically. So I'm sitting in his office, and now remember, this is before neurofeedback and mental health, and this is during incredible duress and no money and lots of kids. And um, 
I was hysterically laughing, and I started talking in rhyme, which probably didn't look too good on me, and uh, but, you know, good for writing songs. And I was a total mess, and he just sat there. And when I finished, I just looked at him and said, um, actually, I was working, and left. And that was it. That was it. They never addressed it. They never talked to me about it. But they did start a file. So that file followed us for a long time. Everywhere we went, we had to look out for this kid, this family's mom file. So if I'm to give you any advice today, since today was my day to talk, I guess that my advice or my answer to the to to tell the truth or not to tell the truth question is if I would have been comfortable telling the truth, I wouldn't have been hysterical. I would have known he was just misinformed. I wouldn't have felt embarrassed or ashamed of who I am because I had to hide in a closet on a ship. I'd have been just proud and that's all. And I'd have said, well, actually I was working, but um, but you're right, vacations are important. Anyway, what's up? That would have been it. Wouldn't have been a big deal and there wouldn't have been a file. So we're a part of the problem because of the problem inside of us. If I can give you a gift today, the gift is just be. Sorry I didn't have anyone else on here. Hope you got something. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. This is a new spin on autism. I'd just be talking to myself. Oh, I am today. <laughs> Bye. Oh, 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 one more thing. Next next uh, episode, we have Annie Potts. Make sure that you check that one out. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of A New Spin on Autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear.